Thanks for joining us on this week's episode, where we discuss season two of the podcast and make predictions for the 96th Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. All right. You know, in in a broader sense this time. (laughs) True. Season two. I did it. I can't believe another season has come and gone. We're making progress toward our goals. Mm -hmm. It's exciting stuff. You want to just dive right into the stats? Hell yeah. Anything else to do? I want you to break it down for me. I want to learn so much today. All right. We're going to reflect on our year. Okay. So season two. We did fewer years this season. We got through 13 Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. That's compared to 18 Academy Awards last season. Ooh, we're slowing down. We're slowing down, just stretching this project out. <laughs> but that means we've done a combined 31 out of what's right now, 95 years, soon to be 96 years, obviously, but that's about 32%. Hey, so, we're almost a third of the way done. Yep. We watched, as you might expect, from doing fewer years, fewer films this year. We watched 123 total films, mm-hmm. 88 of which were nominees. That's compared to 152 total films last year, 107 nominees. But we have watched a total of 275 films or 195 nominees for this podcast so far. I mean, let's be honest. Watching 150 movies last year was ill-advised. <laughs> it's it too many movies. It too many movies. <laughs> We got to slow it down. I think we continue to have an experience this year where we were like, why did we watch four extra movies? Yeah, we were just episode? doubling up our movie count for every episode last year. So we've we've learned. We've grown. We're older. We're wiser. Yeah, we may be a little bit more discerning moving forward in terms of extra <laughs> films or expanding to full double episodes. If you're going to do four extra, might as well do five. Okay. Compared to last year, we had less of an even spread in terms of the decades we covered. If you recall, last year, we did pretty much every decade except for the 1920s, which there's only a couple of years in the 1920s, so that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. This year or this season, we missed four decades. Wow. We again saw no movies from the 20s. Not that surprising. But we saw no films from the 40s, none from the 80s, and none from the 90s. I can't believe we didn't get anything from the 80s or 90s. What a bummer. I know. We instead did four years from the 60s. That was 31% (laughs) of our season hanging out in the 1960s. Oh, boy. How exciting. It's really wild. So that's the decade we've done the most, as you Mm -hmm. might expect. We've done uh, six total years from the 1960s. We're, We're past the midway point of the 60s already. Interestingly enough, though, because of the way the nominations are done, that's not the decade that we've watched the most nominees from. Well, sure, because some of the decades have so many more nominees. Yes, the most nominees we've seen has been from the 30s. We've done four years from the 30s now, and we've watched 40 nominated films from that Mm -hmm. decade compared to 30 from the 60s and 35 from the 2010s, which we've also done four years um, from. So... Both those decades have more than five nominees per year. Makes sense to me. It tracks. So that's sort of a broad overview. We also, of course, want to get into the things that we've been tracking, right? We have our, you know, our summary wrap up where we talk about all these things that we're tracking. Mm -hmm. The headline, the most important thing is how often did the Oscars get it wrong? They never get it wrong, right? This year, we said they didn't get it wrong three out of the 13 times. Yikes. Don't love those odds, honestly. 
No, it's not great. So that was 2022, which obviously was not last year, but the year before, the, sure. the one that we did. That's everything ever all at once. We said they didn't get it wrong in 37. The winner that year was The Life of Emile Zola. And in 67, with In the Heat of the Night, we said it was also a fine choice. Hard to get it wrong with Muni and Poitiers. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good, right? <laughs> we did not have any years this time around where we said, eh, we're not sure. <laughs> we had a couple not sure <laughs> the first season. Yeah. This year we were very definitive. And then we said they got it wrong 10 out of the 13 years. A couple of those were fairly marginal. We, interestingly enough, had two years this season where we gave it to an iconic horror film, a genre that the Academy does not generally like to recognize. Mm-hmm. But the actual winner were good movies. So yeah. 73 was the Exorcist year and The Sting was the winner. It's not like The Sting is garbage. The Sting rules. Everyone should watch The Sting if they hadn't seen yeah. it. And similarly, in 1960, we gave it to Psycho, which wasn't even nominated. And that was the year of The Apartment won. Which the is apartment's amazing. Excellent. People should absolutely watch The Apartment. I love yeah. The Apartment. But I mean, it's Psycho. Yeah, I think both of these lose a little bit on like cultural impact, you know, that dimension, of course. But, you know, they're also excellent films like Psycho and The Exorcist are fascinating, awesome movies. Mm-hmm. So of the years where the Oscars got it wrong, five out of the 10 times, we said the winner was a different nominee. Five of the 10 times, we said it was a non-nominee. So That's when they've really gotten it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't even catch it. We have three years where our highest rated film was the winner. It's all things you've heard before already in this short Mm -hmm, stats mm -hmm. episode. So of the nominees that we rated the highest were Everything Ever All at Once, which was our favorite film of 2022 and that one best picture. The Life of Emile Zola was also our highest rated film of that year, although it was tied with Captain's Courageous. Love Captain's Courageous. And then in 1960, The Apartment was also our highest rated film of the nominees that year, and it won. So this is very similar to season one, where we also had three years where our highest rated film was the winner, including one year that was a tie. Wow, that is not just similar. It's exactly the same. (laughs) Although the percentages are better, right? Because we did fewer years. Sure. We only had one year this year where our lowest rated film was the winner, compared to five years in season one. And that film this year was Kramer versus Kramer. Womp womp. Bummer, guys. (laughs) Next thing we're tracking is our angry white guys. I think the way we tackled this last season was just thinking about when we saw our earliest angry white guy what was the genesis of the angry white guy we've we've sort of thought through right we're really talking about your travis bickles here yeah when we say angry white guy we mean travis bickle yes inspired by 76 being our first year i think that we covered on the podcast and we just don't have like an earlier angry white guy last year we said the hustler was the earliest one we saw the progenitor of your <laughs> travis bickles if you will sure and he still is so you know There's maybe an interesting ramp up of that type of character through the 60s into the true New Hollywood of of the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Well, we watched Breathless this year, which is interesting because we sort of, we saw commentary of people talking about how that character kind of originated characters moving in that direction. So I guess he's worth Mm -hmm. a mention in this category, though I don't really think that guy is like exactly Travis Bickle, but the idea of that sort of mad at the world, young white guy character so breathless that's true yeah although it's still post newman right post Post hustler Hustler? yeah Hmm. Hmm. 
Another similar example of something where we just saw it early on in the podcast. We're like, we got to be tracking this, but hasn't really (laughs) panned out this season. We thought this was going to be a huge deal, guys. We thought we discovered something. We have no real horse deaths this season. No real instances of a horse killing a child to get back at their parents. Not the horse to get back at their parents. The horse. No, just in a, like a, a sort of narrative irony of the rich, yes. horrible parent losing their child because of their own deed, you know? Right. So the fact that we saw three very similar horse deaths, one of which, of course, was actually a car death from Seabiscuit. But the car was a metaphor for a horse. It surely was. It might have just been a coincidence. So, you know, we'll continue to look out. If we see any more horse deaths, we will certainly note it. I sure Mm -hmm. hope we do. I hope we do, too. I love a horse death. Okay, moving into the next thing. Biopics. Mm -hmm. One of our favorite genres (laughs) of film. Last year, we had about 11% biopics. This year, it's 10%. So similar. Similar rates. Gotten to see a few more years, again, most of them being concentrated in the 60s. So are there any sort of patterns across the decades? Maybe a little bit. It seems to be like there has been an uptick over the last couple of decades. We have only one biopic from the many, many years we did in the 60s, for instance. Yeah, so, people were not into the biopics back then. And none from the 50s. And we have three years from the 50s. So that was not peak of of the biopic and then there's an a real uptick in the 80s 1980 is still the year we've done with the most biopics that had three out of the five that were biopics seemingly a drop in the 90s we'll see if that continues to be true and then it's been at like 10 to 15 percent since 2000 okay maybe it's starting to sort of level out that's gonna be the number (laughs) and i think if you think about it right like is that terrible for one genre to be 10 percent Maybe not in a vacuum. Yeah. But you think of all the genres they don't honor ever, and you're like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, there is that. But I guess there are worse things that it could be. Like, we could be dealing with 10 to 15% biblical epics still, and we're not. (laughs) That would be rough. I am glad we're past that. (laughs) So we'll continue to see if that pattern holds true, or as we get more years for certain decades, if we see if that changes. We're also tracking, you know, box office in terms of when the highest grossing films match up with what's honored at the Academy Awards. So we have three winners from the 13 years we covered that were the highest grossing films of their year, but they were all losers to us. We said none of these should have won Best Picture. (laughs) So I don't know really what that means in terms of, you know, our overall thinking about whether the Academy should be honoring films because they're in the zeitgeist but i think we feel differently about these films to be fair so 36 the great zigfield was the highest grossing film of that year i think you rather liked that film i think you liked it more than me Uh, it wasn't perfect but there were lots of things that i really enjoyed about it well you love william powell i think that i do love william powell that was a big part of what i loved about it our winner that year was modern times which was the number five highest grossing film so that's that was in the you know high grossing conversation that was a non-nominee mm-hmm the next year we have where the highest grossing film was the winner was The Bridge on the River Kwai, which we did not agree with as the winner. Yeah, didn't love it. But maybe, you know, I guess the question here is like, do we feel these films should have been nominated? That's a different question than should they have won? I don't have a problem with The Bridge on the River Kwai being nominated. Me neither. Our winner was 12 Angry Men, which was not in the top 10. But it's such a damn good movie. 
It's really good. It should have been. Everyone should have been going to see it. Everybody multiple missed times. out. And then finally, 79, Kramer versus Kramer was the highest grossing movie of that year. And our winner was Norma Ray, which was also not in the top 10. Yeah. I think it's so interesting, though, that that was the highest grossing film of the year. That speaks more to me about how different the movie scene was in the late 70s, early 80s than it is Mm -hmm. now. Like That feels like the type of movie that would never, ever in a million years be the top (laughs) grossing film of the year these days. And so just I do think it's sort of interesting to look back and see these intimate character dramas that were number one at the box office, even if that one in particular is not a favorite of ours. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Like, Bridge on the River Kwai is an epic. It's a war film that maybe makes a little bit more sense to even our modern sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And The Great Sigfield has spectacle. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the type of spectacle that was, like, really big in the 30s, where it's like, you could feel like you're going to a Broadway show. Right. So we've done eight years now, eight uh, Academy Awards, post the year 2000. This is across both seasons. So I thought this was interesting. And of those years, the winner was only in the top 10 highest grossing films once. And that was Return of the King, which was the highest grossing movie of that year. Yeah. And the number of nominees across the board in the top 10, we haven't seen that clear 25%. And that's pretty unusual relative to the other decades we've done. So most decades, it's around like 40%, which Mm -hmm. if you think five movies, that's two in the top 10. Sure. So there's only two years outside of the 2000s forward, outside of the 21st century that we've done where that's true, where the number of movies in the top 10 has not cleared 40%. And that was 1980, which is, again, our like heavy biopic year. That's the biopickiest of biopic years. Only one movie that year was in the top 10, and that was Coal Miner's Daughter at number eight. And then 33, where we had 30%, but that was still like three movies in the top 10. And that was She Done Him Wrong, which was number four, 42nd Street, which was number eight, and Little Women, which was number 10. I'm reminded what a strange year that was. What an interesting collection of films. (laughs) It was a wild year. So I just think that's interesting, right? If your experience of the last several years of Academy Awards is like they're just not honoring high-grossing films. Yeah. Yeah, it appears to be true. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is a common complaint about the Oscars in recent years, and it it does seem to bear out with the numbers. But like you said earlier, there's the difficulty of, in 79, the highest grossing film was an intimate little character drama. So maybe it's not the Academy that's changed, right? It's audiences that have, have changed in terms of... Well, and Or just a mismatch. It's Yeah, it's a lot of things. It's the combination of audience tastes and what studios are producing, because obviously... There's all sorts of popcorn-y fare now that is drawing most of the money at the box office and isn't aligning with the Academy members. So yeah, just... And and obviously, more movies always leads to this sort of issue. Like, if there's Mm -hmm. not that much to see, people are probably just going to see the best of the movies that are available, whereas now we just have so much choice in everything that we do. Plus, you know, not even to get into like streaming versus movie releases and all of that nonsense in in recent, recent years. You're right. There's a lot going on, but our numbers are bearing out. They're not nominating the highest grossing films. Which is why there's all this conversation about like, we need an Oscar to honor the, you know. Biggest cheer moment. (laughs) Biggest cheer moment. Or whatever. I have heard that. that. That's hilarious. No, that was an that was an award they gave out. It was like the stand up and cheer thing that the Flash won, like last year or the year before. Right? Oh, I don't even remember. 
But they had when he to have the speed force. They were trying to have like a you know this is what the populist the, the populist yeah. sort of choice best picture stand up and cheer moment feels like the like MTV awards or something right. like best kiss. best kiss. <laughs> And all of this conversation and still no award for best stunt choreography. I think that bridges the gap. Honestly, that's totally like a agree. real thing and a real thing you could honor. And it's getting at the sort of popcorny action thing that I think people want to see. Mm-hmm. We love stunts. I do love stunts. <laughs> I don't know if Yakima cannot ever won a Lifetime Yakima, Achievement Award. He, he needs a Lifetime have. Achievement Award. Hell yeah. Okay, next we have our original ideas. So asterisk, remember, we do tend to count biopics unless they are based on a specific book. Because of the Academy's weird rules and shit. Yes, as original ideas. So even if it is just like closely based on fact, if it wasn't from one book, for some reason, that's an original idea. But if it is based on one book, not original. Yeah. This year, we had about 31% original ideas compared to 69% adapted ideas. That's basically the same as season one. It was 29%, 71%. We've only done five out of our total 31 years. So again, across both seasons, where the majority of films have been original ideas. Mm-hmm. That was our first year, 76, 97, which is, of course, the Titanic year, which is an original idea. 2014, where we had one biopic, which was Selma. 2018, where we had two biopics, which is Bohemian Rhapsody and Vice. And 2022, where we had one biopic, which was Elvis. So it's interesting that I think as much as we're not seeing as many films honored that are high grossing at the box office, 2014, 2018, 2022, to have one of our few years where the majority is original ideas. Yeah, those are all pretty recent for the era when people are saying, are there no original ideas anymore? Seems like there are. You're just not seeing them. <laughs> so I don't know what to do about that. Yep. Next, we're going to get into our boys. The boys. First, let's talk about Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. In season two, four of the years we covered, he did something where he could have been eligible for an Oscar, which means we've done a total of seven out of 31 years where Steven could be nominated. Hell yeah. Where we are overall is he has, across those seven years, seven real noms and zero real wins. Ugh, disgusting. In our universe, we would have given him 10 noms, three real wins. Yeah. I mean, the number of nominations is not that different, but the number of wins is pretty meaningful. It's substantial. Yeah. (laughs) Three more Academy (laughs) Awards is, I think, you know. Three more than zero is a whole lot. It's true. We did do two years this season where we gave him nothing. Mm-hmm. That was 2018, and his movie that year was Ready Player One, which I have not seen. I've seen it. It's fine. Okay. And then we did 1979, where he did 1941, which I also have not seen, but is supposed to be his worst film. Yeah, me neither, and I don't plan to. Yeah, so maybe not surprising. Overall, our extra nominations for Steven have been, and this again is across both seasons, we gave him a nomination for Jaws, which he did not receive a director nom for Jaws. He was bummed. That was season one. He was bummed. (laughs) God, I'm getting that camera crew to film it. The funniest thing that he's ever done in his life. (laughs) Hubris. Okay. That's why it's good he wasn't nominated, if we're being honest. Yeah. And then this season, we gave him both a Best Picture and Best Director nomination for Catch Me If You Can. So that's where those three additional nominations are coming from. 
Mm-hmm. And then the wins that we've given him over the two seasons are we gave him Best Director for E.T., which he was nominated for, and Best Director for Catch Me If You Can. And then we also gave him Best Picture for E.T. And if you're like, wait, didn't you guys say that Jaws should have won Best Picture? We sure did. And we did. But he was not a producer on that film, so he would not have gotten an award for that. So, yes, those are our three extra Academy Awards for Stevie Spielberg. Little Stevie Spielberg. <laughs> Next, uh, let's take it to Jake Gyllenhaal Corner. Mm-mm-mm. Bad year for Jake. Bad yeah, season for Jake. Kind of a low season. Yeah. He also had four out of the 13 years where he could have been eligible for something. He was a working actor in four of the years we covered. Obviously, none of the years in the 1960s. And we gave him not only no new wins this year, not a single new nomination. Yikes. Don't worry. They're coming. I feel them coming. There's more. There's more in store for you, Jake. (laughs) The years we covered where he could have been eligible were 2022, where he made Michael Bay's Ambulance. I mean, honestly... If I were feeling bolder, <laughs> there's a conversation because it's a performance. I'll tell you what. I mean, we've all seen that still of him wearing the mask with the eyeballs. And it's like, well, he's doing stuff. I've seen the movie. It's great. He's hilarious the whole time. Full commitment. Gotta love it. We did 2018 where he was in two films, The Sisters Brothers and Wildlife. Wildlife is an excellent little movie. But, you know, you can't be nominated every year, Jake. Come on. It's true. And some of the years are very competitive. It's true. 2010, he did Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Yikes. And Love and Other Drugs. Also charming. And then in 2002, he was in three films, The Good Girl, Highway, and Moonlight. Not that Moonlight. No. (laughs) So, sorry, Jake. Maybe you'll get him next time. So, where we are total... For Jake is he has one win under our Fantasy Academy Awards, and that was for Nightcrawler. Well-deserved. He should have won it. And then three (laughs) nominations, Zodiac, Nightcrawler, and End of Watch. Great performances all. Okay. And then finally, we, of course, are tracking our best, best picture. We're not going to go over the whole list of 31 films we have right now, because that sounds boring to me. Yep. But we'll tell you where we are with our top five and which seasons they've come from. So Ordinary People made it through last season just in the top slot, pretty much the whole season. It was the second episode we did. Mm-hmm. But it's been surpassed by our 2022 Academy Award winner, everything ever all at once. It's interesting to think. So obviously that was new when we watched it. Uh-huh. A year removed. You feel the same way? Now that, that it's better than ordinary people? Yeah. With it for a year? It's great. <laughs> it's a great I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you should change your mind. I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel good about it. I think that we made the right choice there. It's always an exciting time when something overtakes the top spot, you know, like Mm -hmm. it feels like a big decision and we've been deliberate about it. We haven't been jumping around with our number one pick. So I feel like pretty good. We made a good choice. I agree. I'm I'm still happy with it at the number one slot. But Ordinary People still coming in strong at number two. Number three is also a, a film from our second season. It's now The Apartment. I love it. God, what a good movie. It's really excellent. Psycho (laughs) squeaks out the win, but God, it's good. And then our next two films are still from season one. So number four is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And number five is 
West Side Story, a musical. Honestly, guys, like, this sounds like a good time. Go out and get all five of these movies. <laughs> Just have yourself a little movie marathon. We've only had one film from this season break into our bottom five. Much more important. And that's Green Book, which is now our 28th best best picture winner out of 31. Mm. Green mm. Book, what were they thinking? Mm. Okay. Those are things we've been tracking. Let's get into our experience of this year, how we've rated the films. Sort of our overall spread of ratings is not too dissimilar from last year. Most of the films are like in the three to four star range, which I think makes sense. Better than average. Yep. Right now, our our most common rating across both seasons is three and a half stars. 20% of our films we've given three and a half stars to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah, a three and a half star movie is a good movie. Where we've fallen down a little bit, though, is in our five star ratings. Mm. So we had four films that we gave five stars to this season, which I think I'm going to talk about in a minute, which is four and a half percent of the total films we've watched compared to 13 films last season, which is 12 percent. So really pay attention to the percentages because we did more movies. But 4.5 to 12 percent is a statistically significant. Couldn't tell you at this point, but it's a drop. It feels like a pretty big drop off, yeah. Yeah. And just for us to have only watched four or five star movies in a whole year is kind of a bummer. <laughs> it's kind of tough. Kind of tough for us. Our overall averages have dropped also, as you might expect hearing that. So our combined average from season one, so all of the nominees, your ratings, my ratings, everything averaged in season one was a 3.38. And in season two was a 3.28. We dropped 0.1. Your ratings dropped from a 3.39 to a 3.25. And my ratings dropped from a 3.25 to a 3.11. And the weird thing about that is both seasons, the difference between our average ratings is 0.14 for some reason. Uh, We're consistent. I like things 0.14 better than you. Yeah. (laughs) On average, we'll see if that continues. If we get to the end of every season, it's always 0.14. If it does, it's going to be That's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. The year that we've done with the biggest average difference was 2018. I gave that year a 2.88. You gave it a 3.25, with the difference being 0.38. That is the Green Book year. The Green Book year. And the reason is because I love the Green Book, and I tried to give it six stars, but you wouldn't let me. (laughs) Yes, it's against the rules. (laughs) Call me tooth and nail. No, that is not what happened. <laughs> We've had one year where we had the same average, which was 2002. And that, I think, is a little fun. Obviously, a recent episode for us, because when we got to part two of that, that was a two-parter. The winners. That's the only episode we've ever had where we did not agree on any of the films in terms of whether or not we would have been happy about them a winning Best Picture. high level of discord. <laughs> It was it turned into a little bit of a game, I think, by the time we got to E2 Mama Tom. Well, when you get to the last one, it's like, I want, I, how do I pick what she's not going to pick? It needs to yeah. be different. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so that's the year we've had the same average for the nominees. And then just a fun little fact, the year with the highest standard deviation for all of us, for you, me, us combined, that's all of us, <laughs> all three, <laughs> all of us here, was 2022, which I think makes sense that it would be a year with, with. 10 pictures because that just gives you more space for there to be 
difference. Now that we've done two years, I thought it'd be fun to also look at where we are with our decades, even though, right, we have not done an equal number of years across the decades. We have more data than we did the first year. Mm -hmm. So right now, our highest rated decade, and it is the same for combined and you and me, is 1970s. It's the 1970s. I mean, it's it's the time. It's the golden age of Hollywood cinema. It's bearing out. Yeah. So my average rating for the 70s is 3.43. Your average rating is 3.68. But it's both our highest year. We do have different lowest rated decades. Mm-hmm. My lowest rated decade is the 2020s, which is really one year. <laughs> So it's, it's tough to judge the decade based on the one year that we've done. We'll definitely get more information when we do this year. We'll see if that stays the, the case. But your lowest rated decade is the 1930s, which you've mm-hmm. given a 3.11. Which is interesting because I don't feel like I hated the things from the 30s. Yeah, but there may be more things that are like in the middle to like slightly negative, which might yeah. be enough to drag yours down. There could be a lot of 2.5s. I think we've seen a lot of movies from the 30s where we're like, it's interesting, but it doesn't really come together. Yeah, that is the thing. I think I have enjoyed watching the films of the 30s because it's been they've been so different from other decades. And it's been like, wow, that's what they were doing then. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about it. I didn't suffer through any of the movies, but it's hard to find like perfect movies in a lot of the 30s years that we've done, except for The Wizard of Oz. That one's pretty perfect. <laughs> okay. The decades where we have the biggest difference of opinions are the 2010s. That's my second lowest decade at a 3.06 and your third highest decade. How do you hate all things recent? I do. I'm like, movies <laughs> aren't what they used to be. And the 1990s are my third lowest decade, although it's tied with the 1950s, and your second highest I gave, right now, the 90s for me is a 3.10 and yours is a 3.45. So last season during our stats episode, I did a little quiz for you where I asked you a bunch of questions. And I want to do a little bit of that, but it's not going to be probably as difficult because the answers are like, yes, no, a number. Because (laughs) I think as much as it was maybe difficult to remember exactly what we covered in year one to ask you to remember, like name this movie from this year at this point is is gonna be i'm old i can't remember all these things <laughs> okay so my first quiz question for you is a yes or no okay 50 percent chance oh it's not a yes yeah or it's not quite a yes or no but how many decades are there where yeah, my yes average... no questions don't usually start with how many <laughs> sorry i reworded this question <laughs> i've forgotten but it's still a number sure i can come up with a number i don't even need to think about it yeah <laughs> How many decades do you think there are where my average for the decade is greater than your average for the decade? One. It's zero. I was trying to hope there would be at least one. It's zero. (laughs) I think I originally had it as a yes or no, because it was just like, are there any? Are there any? Yeah. Yeah. You like things more than me. And that's okay. I think it's great. (laughs) I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) Okay, wrong nominations. Mm -hmm. So the number of years where we have watched additional films out of the 13 we've done this year is nine. We've done 23 years overall where we've watched additional films. So both seasons, we've just done four years where we just stuck to the nominees. Quiz question number two. Quiz question. How many years do you think there are where the average that we gave to the nominees, so again, all of our ratings for the nominees, Mm -hmm. Combined and averaged 
was greater than the average for non-nominees. And it's across both seasons. Yeah. I mean, I feel like none. But again, I'm going to say one, just in case. <laughs> Five. Five? That's remarkable. Yeah. I feel like we yeah. usually like the non-nominees so much more than the nominees. It's true. I, it's rare that we've done years. I think one of them was like the year we did The Searchers and we didn't watch many additional oh, movies that shit. year. When we were still watching Westerns for some reason. I, I honestly think one year was 2007 where the assassination of Jesse James by the coward God, Robert Ford brought things down. <laughs> and obviously like the nominees from 2007 were mostly great. Yeah. So it's been things like that. We have one year from season two where that's the case. And that was 1967. The top three years where we have liked our non-nominees more than the nominees. So where our average for the non-nominees has been much greater than our average for the nominees. Right now is all still from season one. So it's 1989 where we watched three extra films and our rating for the nominees was a three. And our ratings for the non-nominees was a four and a half. Damn. Yep. 2003, where we watched five extra films, and our average rating for the nominees was about a three, and our average non-nominees was, again, a four and a half. Those are some good non-nominees. And then 2012, where our average rating for the nominees was a three and a half, and our average rating for the non-nominees was a five. But you call it an average. Yeah, well, we'll reveal what that is in a second. So (laughs) the two years, 2003 and 2012... We actually did agree with the winner. So even though overall we were like, again, nominations, not great. But the winner, fine. Mm -hmm. 2003, the winner was Return of the King, which admittedly you begrudgingly agreed. (laughs) Sometimes we have to begrudgingly agree to things. That's how it is to live in a society. It is true. And then 2012 was Argo, which we liked. Yeah, it's good. Season two, the year with the biggest difference between the nominees and non-nominees was 2018 where we gave the nominees an average of a 3.13 and the non-nominees an average of a 4.47. Which is basically a 4.5. Yeah. How we feel about non-nominees, usually a 4.5. It's really good. <laughs> to be fair, that's why we're watching them, right? All of the non-nominees have been given the benefit of hindsight. Yes. We are watching them because we have been told that they're great, and a lot of times the existing nominees have fallen out of the public favor. Right. Because we've been told that they're great or because we've already seen them and we know that they're great. (laughs) A lot of non-nominees are things we've already seen. I think that is what happened in 2003 because that was also the year where I was like, you should watch Shattered Glass. It's great. And you told me, like, you should watch The Station Agent. Yeah. (laughs) And they're both great. we made the selection. (laughs) And they're great. There are 12 out of the 31 years we've done where the non-nominee average was greater than four. Which I think I'm going to mention this again, but we still only have one year where one of us gave the actual nominees of four or higher. Yep. And then we technically only have one year. It's not technically, it's true, but it's a little, you know, questionable. Where the non-nominee average rating is five, which we mentioned is 2012. But we did only watch one extra movie. And that movie was Red Dawn. (laughs) 2012's Red Dawn, a five-star movie. Everyone agrees with us, right? We love it. So getting into where we disagreed, and again, we've said before, it'll they'll be born out here. You like things more than me generally, but not always. Not always. So of the 88 nominees we did this year, I rated 17% higher than you. 
So, you know, I like 17% of the movies more than you did. Okay. Which is exactly the same as last season where I gave 17% of the movies. We are remarkably consistent, like, compared to each other <laughs> yeah. in how we rate things. It's kind of wild. This season, you were slightly higher. Uh, you gave 32% of the movies a higher rating than me compared to 30% last year, which is obviously not far off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, again, shows up in how many movies we rated the same. 50% this year, 53% last year. Most of the films where we disagreed, similar to last year, our ratings are half a star apart. So it's not super meaningful. It's yeah. just like slight differences i think a lot of that comes from like we don't do our ratings until after we've had our conversations and sometimes what's guiding the rating for me is just feeling how during the conversation i could tell i liked something a little bit more than you (laughs) (laughs) so that it's like that's probably about a half star difference half star yeah the we had 14 total movies this year with a greater than a half star difference 11 of those 14 were you giving the movies greater than a half star more and that's very similar to the previous year where we had 13 movies with a greater than a half star difference and you gave the higher rating 10 out of the 13 times mm-hmm. so the movies that i preferred substantially more than you this season uh i gave inception one more star than you one whole more one star whole star and then there are two movies that i gave one and a half stars more than you and that was a man for all seasons and lord of the rings the two towers Lord of the Rings. So you gave seven movies, one star more than me. A whole star? A whole star. Black Panther, The Hours, Dead End, Lost Horizon, A Tale of Two Cities, Women Talking, and Stage Door. See, look at all of these 30s movies that I liked more than you, and still my 30s ratings are so low. Yeah, that's true. But I think even though the 30s is your lowest decade it might still be higher than like a number of my decades so you know it's relative it's relative you gave one and a half more stars than me to america 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 two stars more than me to a star is born and bonnie and clyde and so last season the greatest difference between our ratings was two stars but this year we have a single movie that you rated Two and a half stars more than me. That's a, That's big, a big difference. difference. That's a big difference. That's a disagreement. And I'm going to ask you, quiz question, what is that film? I think I might have figured it out. Okay. I've done a bit of reflection about this and thinking uh-huh. about the things that we've mentioned and things we haven't mentioned. My guess is The Social Network. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A movie that I love and you hate. Yes. I gave it one and a half stars and you gave it four stars. So it's a spread. It's a spread. There have been three years, as mentioned, where my average rating was greater than your average rating. And that was 1966, 1936 and 1957. But the difference was never greater than (laughs) 0.1. That's negligible. Says to me, we liked all the movies about the same. I just liked one movie. A little bit more. A little bit more. A half star more. Yep. Okay. So those are our differences. Let's get into what we love this year. Hell yeah. So season two, the year we did that had the highest combined average. So again, all your ratings, all my ratings combined averaged was 2010, which we gave a 3.75 to. There are five years in season one with a higher combined average. So yikes. Tough for season two. Tough for season two. (laughs) My highest average year was 57. 
I still can't believe it was a year in the 50s. That's so wild. You're a fascinating person. It was 12 Angry Men witness for the prosecution just really pulling that thing right up. Great movies. And then your highest was 2010. Indeed. So all our highest rated years are all still from season one, as you might expect from the, the stat that we have five years in season one with higher combined ratings. And that's 1976, 2007, and 94 all have a 3.9 combined average. Good years. And then again, there's still only one year where one of us gave all of the films an average uh, above a 3.9, which is your 1976, our first episode that has a, com- a combined average of a four. Will we ever top it? We'll find out. I mean, four just absolute classics and one not great movie. <laughs> yeah. How do you beat you it? You give enough movies a, f- a five or whatever, you can have one bound for glory in there. And it's exactly. still, still at the top. So, right. As we mentioned, there were four movies this year that we gave five stars to. Only four and a half percent. Uh, these are those- just nominees, I assume. Because we, we obviously are just gave nominees. some non-nominees five yes, stars. Yes, correct. We're in just nominee territory. So those four films were Everything Everywhere All at Once, our best, best picture. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Mm, so good. Toy Story 3. Yep. Tonal Whiplash from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> and 12 Angry Men. Four perfect movies. They're great. Very different, though, I would say. Yes, they are. When we look across the decades... We have at least one five-star movie in almost every decade. That's exciting. Obviously, we haven't done any years in the 20s. So what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? But oddly enough, the decade that we don't have a combined five-star rated movie is the 90s. Even though 1994 is one of our highest rated years? Yeah. I am the only one of us, again, oddly enough, that gave any of the nominees we've covered from the 90s five stars. Wow. And that was Quiz Show. Oh, yeah. You love Quiz Show. I well, love Quiz Show. Well, it's not going to last because there are some absolute classics coming in the 90s. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, we have at least one movie from each decade with five stars. Mm-hmm. Most of them, again, from season one. But that's okay. That's okay. The movies are bound to get better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We hated it. Next section. Things we didn't like. Mm -hmm. Our lowest rated years. Combined, 1963. That year, the nominees were, again, this is just nominees. America, America, Cleopatra, How the West Was Won, Lilies of the Field, and Tom Jones. Mm -hmm. Time for a quiz question. What do you think the average rating combined for that year was? To the 10th decimal place. Oh, I have to give to the 10th decimal place? Not the hundredth, just the tenth. 2.9. Close. 2.8. Okay. I mean, some of those were painful experiences. Although, for so I do feel, like, if, if we had not had to watch Cleopatra and How the West Was One, things would have been different. But I do feel like Tom Jones has undergone a reevaluation over the course of the podcast for us. It's true. It was a lot to handle at first, and I do feel like <laughs> sure. on reflection, we, we've come to like it. I think we ended up bumping it up in one of our episodes when we were doing our best, best picture. Because you know what? It's interesting. It's very interesting. Say what you will about Tom Jones. It has a lot to say. It's interesting. They were doing stuff. They were making choices. It is not bland. It is not boring. Yeah. And in a year where we had to watch two boring four-hour movies, it's a breath of fresh air. Sure was. (laughs) 
So yeah, 63 is also our individual lowest rated year. Our overall lowest rated year is still from season one, and that was 1953, which was like the robe. Was that going my way or whatever? It's No, that was in the 40s. Oh, yeah. The robe sucked, though. The robe did suck. (laughs) The robe, I think, is the worst biblical epic that we've watched. Oh, yeah. By, like, a large margin. Because we like the Ten Commandments had some cool shit in it. Yeah, absolutely. The Ten Commandments, I liked way more than I thought I was going to like it. Because I thought it would be like the robe. <laughs> it's true. Got you. But instead, it had cool special effects. Yeah, man. And anti-slavery messages. Yeah, this was Shane was this year. Ugh, From gross. Here to Eternity, which had some interesting parts, but was very flawed. I really like um, Montgomery Clift. I do too. I'd like to see Roman more. Holiday, which I think we both don't like as much as many yeah, people. That's true. And then Julius Caesar, which was a good adaptation, but like not, you know. I mean, it was all the level. source material. They didn't really <laughs> yeah. do anything to it besides say the word. So that's 53. We have four total years across both seasons that we have given on average less than three stars, and now it's two in each season. So, okay. Nice. Two clunkers. <laughs> two clunkers. Our worst movies that we've watched in season two are the same for both of us. We gave one star to two films, and those two films were Avatar 2 and How the West Was Won. <laughs> what? what a couple of movies those are. We hate them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. More qualitative stuff. So this is more of a discussion, less of a me running through our stats. Yeah. But I do want to sp- take some time to talk about... The top movies we've watched in season two, and this can be for different reasons. So yep. things that we watched because of the podcast. Do you want to kick us off? I do. So there's a lot of stuff that we watched this year that we did really like, despite all of this conversation about, you know, not liking this year as much as last year. But part of the issue we came upon when on reflection was that several of our favorite movies from this year are things we had already seen before we did the podcast. So I think it's important to take some time to reflect on things we might not have watched were it not for the podcast, which is my favorite thing about doing this podcast, discovering things that you never would have seen, or maybe you would have accidentally, but sometimes it's like stuff you'd literally never heard of. And then you watch it. I think for a lot of the older films in Uh particular, right? It's things that, again, have not really stuck in the cultural consciousness. So you just never would have gone back to them or even potentially been aware that they existed. Exactly. But they're good. (laughs) So I have a mix of things from this season that I watched because of the podcast and potentially never would have watched. And there's sort of a range. Some of them are things that I'd heard of and maybe someday could have watched. And some are things I literally had no idea what they were. So in no particular order, some things that I watched because of the podcast this year and very much enjoyed are Norma Rae. I... Love a union movie. I always want mm-hmm. more of them. HUD, which we almost didn't watch and then yes. watched. And it's so good. <laughs> what a great movie. It was our best picture pick for that year. A movie Absolutely. we were like, not going to watch it. Not going to watch it. Enter the Dragon, which hopefully someday I would have watched. But this podcast gave me the kick I needed to watch mm-hmm. Enter the Dragon, which rules. Witness for the Prosecution. Adore. What a great adaptation captain's courageous that movie was a shock to me that is a movie i know i never would have watched (laughs) or not for this podcast i didn't know anything about it i'd heard of the book but i didn't know anything about it and it's so good it's a tearjerker guys you're gonna love it 
Also, Spartacus. That was a shock to me because I think I thought I would feel the same way about it as I did the robe. <laughs> That's what I right. always am judging things based on. Or Cleopatra, just like a, a sword and sandals slog. Right. But instead, so entertaining, delightful characters and like a great message. So good. Y tu mama tambien. What a great time that was. And again, maybe maybe someday I would have watched it because I was aware of it as a thing, mm-hmm. but it was not a priority. And I'm so glad I watched it. And finally, the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming, which I'd never heard of. No. <laughs> and what a fun little movie it is with little Alan Arkin and little Carl Reiner. I mean, it's just good. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? There's a good amount of overlap, I think, in our list. And of course, some of this is you had seen different things than I had seen. So some of the sure. things on my list you had just seen before. It's not that I necessarily love them much more than you. Yeah, everything that I didn't say that you're about to say, I hate. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the overlaps, I think, are HUD, Captain's Courageous, Spartacus, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, mm-hmm. and E2 Mama Tambien. Word. And then I also got a chance to watch this year sorry to bother you which i think does fall in the category like i had an awareness of it i would have liked to get around to at some point but i'm glad this podcast made me do it because i loved it i love it i think about it a lot. it's great what a good movie it's a great movie i think similarly to sorry to bother i'm going to jump around my list a little bit if beale street could talk maybe i could have gotten to that at some point it's you know a more modern film Yeah, I'll say same here that I watched it because of this podcast. I think I didn't put it on my list because I always had it on my mental list of things to watch someday. Mm -hmm. It was more prioritized for you internally. But it it was the podcast that pushed me to watch it. (sighs) Oh, God, that's a heartbreaker. Okay. Yep. Also on my list is The Apartment, which you had seen before. God, it's good. It's really good. I think similar to Captain's Courageous, like an older movie, which I don't know that I even ever would have thought of, but I I really enjoyed was Doddsworth. Doddsworth. Yeah, I didn't know what that movie was. There was no chance I was going to end up watching that movie. I think I mentioned E.T. Mama Tambien is also on my list. Mm -hmm. And then finally, shout outs to my dad again, The Harder They Come, which I really enjoyed. Totally. Okay. Our wrongest winners for season two, getting... (laughs) back into our negatives we only won this year yep we had more last year there was a clear wrong winner and that was green book even though you wanted to give it six stars (laughs) so glad you talked me out of that six star rating that i was going for bad choice oscars bad bad choice that was the year we ended up giving the win to spider-verse i think i think that's right it came did it come down to to Family Animated films is Paddington things? 2 oh, and yeah, yeah, Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah. yeah, now it's coming back to me. What a great final matchup. <laughs> Just a good time all around. Okay. Similar to our wrongest winners, we have our worst missed nominees for this year. Number one, again, is HUD, a HUD, movie that was HUD, not nominated, HUD, HUD. but was our best picture pick. We also have 1960, which was a weird year where we ended up with three missed nominees that had odd similarities to three of the nominees. Yep. And you're just like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, what what were they thinking? Just the one for one of right. put Spartacus in instead of the Alamo. <laughs> what are you thinking? Put Inherit the Wind in instead of Elmer Gantry. Like, what what's going on here, people? <laughs> yes. So our missed nominees that year were Spartacus, Inherit the Wind, and then Psycho, which was our ultimate winner, which 
jokingly we said sons and lovers because they're both kind of dealing with they are about a son's relationship with his mother an unhealthy mother-son relationship but also obviously psycho is a miss because it's psycho like what are we doing why do we hate hitchcock i don't know why they hate hitchcock so much it's kind of wild other miss worst miss nominees 37 snow white and the seven dwarfs a classic they didn't know what they had though they didn't they didn't know what was starting yeah exactly but also weird that they were like, huh, a, f- a feature length animated film, a thing we've never seen before. Hmm. Why, why recognize they it? They don't know what to do with a thing they've never seen before. It's the Academy. Have you met them? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 36, they did not nominate Modern Times, which was also our eventual winner for it's that so year. Good. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. And then 2002, Know the Born Identity. Travesty. And also My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which was the phenomenon of the year. And Absolutely. is, you know, a great rom-com. It's towards the time where we're not doing rom-coms anymore. No rom-coms. I'll say, I don't know if The Born Identity came out now, if it would get nominated. But if My Big Fat Greek Wedding came out now, it would get nominated. Like in a 10 mm. nominee field and being a movie that successful, I can't imagine yeah. a world in which they wouldn't nominate it. No, I don't know if they would nominate The Born Identity still. I mean, they're dumbass. They'd still be wrong. They'd still be wrong. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm just saying I don't know if they would because they have questionable taste. But last year we talked about our most unexpected films. This year we have a couple again. (laughs) HUD. It was unexpected. We thought we'd hate it and we loved it. What are the odds? I've also included A Touch of Class, which was maybe the most bewildering nominee. I still don't get it. I don't understand it. How did it get nominated? What happened? What is that movie? What's the genre? What is it? How, why did they make it? What's going on? What are they trying to accomplish? <laughs> Those are all of my How questions. How do they expect me to feel? <laughs> I told you. I mean, I said during the episode, the movie ended, and I literally said out loud to myself, the fuck was that? <laughs> I think that's appropriate. I think that's appropriate. And in a similar vein to how did this get nominated is the other thing you have listed in this category. <laughs> yeah. It, this is not a full film, although mm-hmm. questionable that this film got the nominated. The full film overall. is kind of a what? Yeah. Yeah. This is a scene. And it is, of course, the scene from Dr. Doolittle where he falls in love with a seal and yep. then chucks her into the ocean. They sing a beautiful love song. He falls in love with the seal and he throws her in the ocean. What a turn of events. <laughs> Just the most deadpan way. <laughs> I love you. If only I could love you and you were a real woman. All right, song's over. Bye. Bye. <laughs> also, like, she doesn't love you. She's trying to get back to her husband. Yeah, it's real weird. <laughs> it's real weird. God, what a weird movie. It's kind of like the scene in Love Actually where that guy shows up with cute. It's a lot like that, yeah. <laughs> to a and seal, like, he's dressed up as a okay. woman. Okay. Bye. I'm married. <laughs> but also, I'm a seal. Okay. Anyway. Yep, yep, yep. Another thing we discovered, we've mentioned HUD 5,000 times now yep. on this podcast. There has to be a conclusion it's... to draw about the fact that we loved HUD so much. Last season, we said, hey, maybe we should stop watching Westerns. Stop doing it to ourselves. We're suffering for no reason. We had two years where definitely dragged down our non-nominees the year we did the searchers the year we did the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford so we mm-hmm. we came to the conclusion the end of season two obviously or season one 
obviously we would continue to watch the westerns that were nominated but we were going to stop watching extraneous westerns because it we weren't having a good time yeah things that we told were like oh they're important revisionist westerns we right. just weren't enjoying them Yes. And like we said, I'm sure we're sure that if you love these Westerns listening to us, not get them frustrated. Not fun for us, not fun for you. <laughs> but then, thanks to our guest on the HUD episode, who was like, maybe HUD, we watched HUD and we realized something. We might not like Westerns that are set in, you know, the old West gunslingers. Yeah, like sort of gunslinging, black hats, white hats, that whole yeah. business. But we might love contemporary ranch movies ranch movies baby i've discovered if a movie has a sheep in it i'm there <laughs> yeah. i'm here for it give me the sheep i love a yes. ranch all of these again are set like at the time they were made they're not in the old west right it's not well, the they're expansion not all set in the time they were made as we'll get to the fourth one on the list but they're not well more west. modern i guess they're not in the old west you're right you're right so we have hud obviously sundowners which we both enjoyed i think you did like more than me but it's yeah. cute and it's fun australian <laughs> ranch movie yeah giant which yes. not a perfect film but interesting so interesting and then we realized this is a movie we've not yet covered on the podcast but will one day so, so spoiler alert our opinion <laughs> broke back mountain it's a ranch movie it's a ranch movie and it's so good god it's so good god it's so good so we may still not watch additional westerns, but if a ranch movie comes across, we come desk, across ranch movies. We're there. We might be adding them. We're there. Okay, and then finally for our our discussion of season two, I want to touch on if there's any movies that have stuck with you more or less than you expected, or that you know you've revisited and you're thinking about them i don't think we have too many for this year no but i do want to call out one that is something i probably would have watched with or without the podcast because it was a recent nominee but mm -hmm. i was so surprised by how much i loved all quiet on the western front that's one of those where every time you go to watch a war movie you're like okay it's another war movie like what is this going to be bringing to the conversation that I haven't already seen? And I just was captivated. I think it's so well made and so well acted. And the story is incredible, probably because it is just a real person story of how horrible World War One is, which, yeah, it's the worst. It's like one of the worst things humans have ever done. <laughs> but yeah. it just it works. It's incredibly good. I, a lot of scenes of it have stuck with me. And I just think so well made. And it made me think, I guess. We still need war movies because we keep having wars. So, so good. Loved it. I feel similarly. So I think we both gave that movie a very good review when we talked about it. I think yep. we both said we liked it. But I, I definitely think about it more than I expected to. Like, I'll just be living my life and it'll pop up in my brain. And so I think coming out of our discussion for that Academy Awards, if I had had to like rank the films it might have been my third favorite after like banshees of inishirin but i find myself thinking about it more than banshees of inishirin i think it, it might actually be my second favorite movie of the nominees yep. from that year which is a, a slight readjustment to, in how i feel about them two movies that you really liked and you still really like but yes you like one of them a little bit more <laughs> yes and then a couple of other movies for me roma which i also 
liked. I don't think I gave it a bad review, but I find that I think about it more. And then we did Itumama Tambien later. And so I think just my general like feelings about Quaron have grown. Mm-hmm. He is interested in sort of similar themes throughout this stuff yeah. that I've seen from him. Yes. This is an instance where learning more about a director and seeing more of a director's filmography has made me interested in how he grapples with these sort of similar themes, which was not necessarily the case when I first saw Roma. And I, I'm always skeptical, I think, about small, intimate character dramas. Yeah. And so one of the good things, again, about this project is it's made me watch more of them. And some of them I really love. And I never, I never quite expect to. Here's the thing. Like, we've joked before about adult dramas capital a adult dramas right and and not being excited about going into watching them because you've seen some in your life that are just boring like very self-serious and obsessed with themselves and oftentimes about people that you don't relate to at all (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you're just like what is this but when a character drama an intimate character drama is done well i fucking love it like that's one of my favorite kinds of movies but it's so easy to do poorly (laughs) so you know i understand the like i'm not being excited about watching them but yeah a lot of them do when they when they hit they hit like when When you hit they hit (laughs) because that's really like why people are trying to make movies right is to illustrate the human experience and if you can Mm -hmm. make a movie that's literally just about like this is what it's like to be a person and have relationships with people and have it really work you've achieved it the art is achieved. <laughs> like, that's exactly what you're trying to do. And so it's a great experience when it works. And so sad when it doesn't. But yeah, Roma is is a good one. And then the last thing, again, this isn't necessarily a whole film, but God, that scene in the life of Emile Zola, when Suzanne breaks up with him and he says to him, will you write? And Suzanne says, no, but, but I'll remember. remember. I think about that all the time. That broke my heart. <laughs> that was so good. It's really and you're good. you're like, again... A biopic from the 30s? What's that going to be? But like, God, that scene. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, that was a well-done biopic. A I mean, I biopic's always going to have an extra layer of something, right? Because it, yeah, there it was, has something There was a say. lot in that movie that I liked. It was not just that scene. Yeah. But some, something about, will you write? No, no. But I'll remember. I'll remember. Oh. Yep. Jeez. Damn Jeez, good. Guys. Damn good. All right. So that's season two. That's what we did. That's how we felt about it. Those are our favorite things. Some of our least favorite things. Not as good as season one. I don't <laughs> but know. But this just means maybe next season will be great, right? Could Room be. to grow from here. And we've said this off the podcast, but we should say it here. We're committing to having an open mind about all the films. Open mind. Positive attitude. Yes. Let's let's bring those averages up, but exactly 0.14 stars apart. Yes. Each of us up 0.14. <laughs> Great. All right. Positive attitude season three. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So let's roll into that. Let's get into what's going to be the start of season three, which is our predictions. Well, this is the end of season two. Well, they get the stats get rolled into season three, so it's really the start of season okay, three sure, stats sure, sure. wise. Yeah. Even though it'll air before our break. Yep. Okay. So, 2023, this past year, cinema. Cinema. <laughs> the nominees that we are considering are... Well, you know, that, that the order. Academy is considering. Yeah, and that we are considering as a result, I suppose. <laughs> but you're, yes, correct. Are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer... Past Lives, Poor Things, The Holdovers, and The Zone of Interest. Ten whole movies. 
Giant hole movies. So before we get into our predictions for best picture, how do you feel? Excited. Because there were a lot of fun movies. Mm -hmm. I had a pretty good time watching this year. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. We'll be talking about the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which is Mm -hmm. like an interesting cinema story. There are some genres that are just things that I really like this year. There is an interesting Holocaust movie. Who knew that was still happening? <laughs> there's it's all sorts of quite stuff. quite on the Western front where you're like, can you still do one of these? Yeah. There's some satire. There's some comedy. There's some courtroom dramas. There's all kinds of stuff that is appealing. So I'm excited for this conversation. But it also is interesting because I feel much as I'm excited for the conversation This is one of those years where it feels like we already know what's going to win (laughs) for a Mm. lot of these categories. That's true. I feel similarly. I had a pretty good time with most of these. And so I think on the whole, good year. That's my thought. Even though you hate recent movies and the 2020s are your least favorite. We'll see. We'll (laughs) see if this year is able to bring 2020 out of my least favorite decade. Yes. Is there anything that you wish had been nominated? I don't know if we want to call them snubs, but anything that you would have liked to have seen that you saw last year more in the nominees? Honestly, not that comes to mind, really. There are some things I haven't seen that I've heard people talk about being good, but obviously I can't have an opinion about them. And just having watched them, I feel like they did a pretty good job. Like (laughs) They must have caught most of the good movies because a lot of them are really good. There are like maybe some marginal things but there are always going to be some marginal things and so i don't i don't have any movie that is my snub of the year do you i don't know necessarily for best picture but in some other places maybe maybe like i really liked asteroid city this year it was fun i i would have liked to have seen it get something probably production design well i mean it always should get production design every time wes anderson makes a movie it should be nominated for production design yeah so probably production design for that and then i'm still offended that they've never nominated a song from any spider-verse movie for best that sucks that's ridiculous to me so what are they doing i don't know and then well it is not my area of expertise and i understand that we love john williams Mm -hmm. i think in the score category i would have liked to see like either spider-verse or the boy and the heron which i also really love this year the newer miyazaki film yeah i think the guy who did the score for the boy and the heron has done a lot of his films and he's never been nominated and the music for miyazaki's films are always so gorgeous and like indiana jones and the Dial of Destiny was It feels not like you're good. sort of just, just coasting off the music you wrote for the first Indiana Jones Yeah, movie. like 40 years ago or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard to begrudge John Williams, but he's also been nominated like 50 times. Yeah, absolutely. So. I don't think he would have noticed if he wasn't nominated this time. So those are, those are kind of the things I might have liked to see a little bit more recognition for than just Spider-Verse and Boy and the Heron in the animated category and Asteroid City. Nowhere! Well, it sort of flew under the radar, that one. I liked it. It was fun. 
I mean, I don't know if the Academy felt this way because they're always so weird about Wes Anderson. But for me, there was kind of a Grand Budapest hangover. I feel like as we had this conversation about Grand Budapest and it being like the pinnacle of achievement of Wes Anderson, it felt like he made this perfect thing. And Asteroid City, while I thought it was really fun and I very much enjoyed all of the performances and stuff, it felt like kind of slight compared to Grand Budapest because I didn't feel like it came together in this really powerful way that I felt like Grand Budapest did. Yeah, I found it to be more difficult and like obtuse to put together yeah and it's interesting how like grand Budapest, not to like turn this into our discussion of asteroid city sure grand budapest has the story within the story within the story but it doesn't necessarily play into the overall narrative like you just kind of cut into the main story and then you don't cut back to the layers until the end whereas Mm -hmm. like it's more intercut in asteroid city in a way that i think makes the movie a little bit more difficult to parse what he's trying to say like it's more meta. Yeah. The, all of the the like play layers are really interesting mm-hmm. in Asteroid City, but I think you're right that maybe it just requires further watches or something. Yeah. It might take some more some more reading into what's going on with that movie to make it all come together. But I love that little alien. So the little alien's so cute. So so cute. Okay. Let's get to our predictions. Okay. We're predicting best picture. Yep. What do you think? Oppenheimer. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I feel like Oppenheimer exists in this sort of perfect space for the Academy, which is very much a thing that they like. It is a biopic of an important person. It is tied to World War II. It is a war film. But also then they get to award something super successful, right? That's true. That's a real win for them. And they also finally get to award Nolan, who was kind of the reason that they expanded to 10 nominees in the first place. Because of the Dark Knight. He's the reason. And then he made something for them. Yeah, that's true. It's a perfect storm. (laughs) It's an ideal opportunity. So, I mean, that's my prediction as well. And I think he, like, could not have engineered... A more perfect picture to win Best Picture, which I don't mean as which, like that, I feel like that makes it sound like it's bad, but I don't think we think that. But it is no. just like right in their lane. Yeah, I, I don't mean to make it sound like it was an inauthentic movie that Nolan made, but it, it kind of it's like perfect. It's like if there were to be if Nolan were to make a movie that was an Oscars movie, this is that movie. Like it, of yes. all the movies that Nolan could make, this is the one that is the most. <laughs> Well, like you just said, it feels kind of like his Grand Budapest. Like, I can't think what he would make that would be more Oscar-y and Oscars-worthy. Yep. Nor I. But I guess it could still happen someday. It could. Who knows what the future holds for Christopher Nolan. (laughs) Well, biopics from here on out. (laughs) It feels like it has the momentum. It was super successful, which is nice. I mean, for this, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But for this movie mm-hmm. to have made almost a billion dollars is an accomplishment. Oh, yeah. So, okay, we're both going with Oppenheimer. And I think we're going to be right, but we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll <laughs> when as, record happen. an addendum as we, I think, did last year to, to see if we were shocked. Shocked. Okay. So then what does this mean we're talking about next time? Well, next time we will be diving into all of these films. We'll be covering in two episodes, like we always do, the 96th Academy Awards or the films of 2023. Again, the nominees are, or were, I don't know when you're listening to this, (laughs) American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, 
the holdovers, and the zone of interest. Okay. If you have thoughts, and I don't remember the timing of the releases, but if you can get those thoughts to us before the Oscars happen, I'll be impressed. We are at OscarsWrongPod at gmail.com. We are on Instagram and letterboxd at OscarsWrongPod. Check out our website, OscarsWrongPod.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. New episodes come out every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. 